All right, friends. Well, we are, uh, we are, we are still in the book of Acts. Um, we have gone through about chapter eight and a half. And uh, last week, we examined the church's first ever mission trip. Okay, so this is the first church launching out in their first ever mission trip. And it was a whopper, okay? I mean, like a Will Bond-sized whopper of a mission trip. It's just, it's incredible what happens. Um, a one-man crusade as Philip steps up, and essentially the whole town comes to Christ. I mean, by the language, I mean, this is everybody's getting into the waters of baptism, confessing Jesus Christ. And we even see that belief, and even if it's a rustic belief, all the pieces don't seem to be there for this one man, we see that even the local sorcerer, okay, it's kind of like the town witch doctor, the guy that's held everybody under his spell, kind of a cult leader, but definitely deep into the, the occult, he, even he confesses, even he um, speaks belief. And then the whole thing ended last week with uh, these, these new Christians, these Samaritans uh, experienced the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And it's very significant. I want to point it out again that, that the reason why the Spirit of God comes upon these Samaritan believers is for a reason. And the reason is not just so they feel good, so that they have energized times of worship, but the reason the Spirit of God comes upon this brand new Samaritan believing community, it is to equip them and it is to empower them to now go out and make Jesus Christ known. There is a reason for the Spirit of God. So in other words, these new believers, God blesses them so they can turn around and be a blessing. And so you see, see with their, 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 this, there's a principle of salvation that it draws us into the great commission and into to the greatest commandment uh, that, that Jesus gives us. So a lot of meat there, but we also discovered last week four common traps or temptations that we want to avoid when it comes to mission. The first one is withdrawing from the mission altogether in the face of persecution. Somebody's against me. They don't seem to want the message. Ah, forget the whole thing. That's a trap we want to avoid is the body of Christ. Um, a second trap is withholding Christ from people uh, due to our own prejudices of them or our judgments against them. A third trap is to withdraw into ourselves due to the fear of man. We just judge, judge that somebody's too far gone. You know, someone's too big, too bad, whatever, but withdrawing and withholding there. And then finally, that fourth trap was when we, the body of Christ, fall into that trap or step into that trap of getting, getting caught up in theological debates about things that God has already made very clear in his word to us. It's clear in scripture. There is no debate. Get on with the mission. So anyway, that was last week, all right? Um, this week, we are going to rejoin our friend Philip in Acts chapter 8. And Philip this time is about to have a very different series of fortunate events, okay? So one man crusade last week, something completely different for Philip this week. Acts eight twenty six. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the desert road that runs down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What we start off with here in verse 26 is something very simple, okay? God speaks to Philip, 
and Philip hears God. Now, that is a very simple principle, right? But here, it's an extremely significant principle because today, God's precisions to Philip are precise. These are intricate, specific details that Philip needs to hear. God has a detailed plan, and if Philip does not hear, if he's not listening, if he doesn't hear the details of this plan, he's going to do one or two things. He's either going to miss what God wants him to do, or maybe even worse, he's just going to mess up what God wants him to do. So here God says to Philip, now, right now, go down, uh, take the southern route and go to this specific road, this desert road right here by Gaza and do it this moment. So verse 27, Philip heads out and on his way in the distance, he sees someone. Okay, now, now this someone is significant, but this someone is also kind of different because this time the man he sees in the distance, he's not a Hebrew, okay? So he's not a Jewish man. We've seen a lot of Jewish people so far, have we not, in Scripture and in the New Testament? Quite a few of them. He's not one of that crowd. He's not a Greek. Greeks have been all over the place, right, in the New Testament so far. He's not a Greek. This guy isn't even a Samaritan. He is an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, now, now to quote Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life, we have a very interesting situation here. A man doesn't run into a situation like this every day. And the situation is that here is an Ethiopian. Now, it's okay if you don't know the answer. Does anyone know how far Ethiopia is away from Gaza? <laughs> very, you got it. Uh, 1,500 miles, okay? This man is 1,500 miles away, and again, the man is not only an Ethiopian, he's a eunuch. Now, now I won't go into the depths of what a, a eunuch is, but I will tell you this much. A eunuch is an officer. He's always a royal officer in a court. So this man is a royal representative of somebody, and as we read along, we find out that he works for the Candake, okay? Now, not any candake, mind you, the candake. You know, whenever you put a the in front of somebody, it's really important, right? Like if I look over at, uh, at Mark Skipper and say, Mark, you are a man. Okay, that's pretty generic. If I look at Mark and go, you are the man, totally different, right? Y'all, this is the candake, and the candake is the queen of Ethiopia. This man is in charge of the money, the royal treasury of Ethiopia, and here he is on the desert road just outside of Jerusalem. Like I said before, this is a very, very interesting situation we got here. And so the question right off the bat is, God, what in the world are you up to, okay? I mean, you are clearly up to something. This is going to be good. Well, I'd go ahead and argue that we are already past good and we are already in great. So stay in that book you love from good to great. We are already at the end of the title of, the, of your book here. So here we go, verse 27. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, had gone to Jerusalem, but he had not gone to Jerusalem to conduct business. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, that's pretty amazing, okay? Now, whether or not, and we, we don't know from this passage, whether or not this man is what was referred to in the ancient Near East as a God-fearer, 
Now, a God-fearer, just so you know, there were lots of people like this running around. They were not yet in the faith, part of the family of God, but these were folks who respected God, that they just had this respect for the Lord. They had a holy reverence and fear for the Lord. Many of them were even beginning to seek God. We don't know if he's a God-fearer like that, or we don't know if perhaps he comes from a Jewish parent, or, or, or you know, maybe one or both. There were some Jews in Ethiopia. We don't know exactly exactly what's going on with this guy, what his background is, but we do know one thing. This is an African man, and he is returning from a worship event in Jerusalem. I'm with you. It gets even better. Verse 28, he's sitting in his chariot, (laughs) and he is reading the book of Isaiah, okay? And forget about this when you think about him reading. This wasn't around back then. This brother has pulled out a scroll, And as the New Living uh, Translation, it, it translates correctly, this man is reading Hebrew out loud to himself. So head down, eyes on the page, reading the Word of God, sounding out each word. So I'm gonna go ahead and say this. We have moved now from great to delicious. This story is becoming absolutely delicious. Verse 29 Then the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, why does Philip need to go near that chariot and and stand close? Well, the reason is because Philip is some distance away. He cannot quite make out what, uh, you know, what the man is saying. So verse 30, Philip runs up to the chariot and he hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, I'm going to stop for a second because I want to get, I want to be real clear. Um, at this point, Philip has no idea what's going to happen next, okay? God is leading him moment by moment. The next moment, it is blank on the page. Philip has no idea what happens in the next moment, but he does know a few things. The first thing he knows is that God has called him into this moment. That much is clear. Philip can also see that God has been working on this man's heart. For quite some time, God has gone ahead and got something started with this man, and Philip does know this, okay, from context. He knows that whatever God is getting ready to do next, he is going to be part of it. Because, you know, God is not into spectator sports. God has brought Philip there for a reason. He is about to step into something. So what will Philip do next? I mean, I mean, should he step into the moment and, and launch into a complex the, uh, theological treatise on soteriology? Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation, salvation history, the, the study of salvation. Should Philip do that? Will, will he walk the man through some detailed word studies and a historical analysis of the book of Isaiah? Will Philip pull out a felt board? And show him, show the man how uh, the deliverance of of, of Noah in the ark parallels Christ's salvation. What will Philip do? Well, so far, following God's lead has worked pretty good. So Philip stays in that vein. He walks up, he hears the man reading Isaiah, and suddenly it dawns on Philip, and no, this isn't in Scripture, but I think it's pretty close. It dawns on Philip what's going on. Oh, God, I see what you've brought me to. You have brought me to a spiritual dinner party because you are serving this man up to me on a silver platter. And so Philip steps into the moment. 
He does the most normal thing in a moment like this, the most natural thing imaginable. Philip asks the man the question of the moment because everything that's taken place so far is leading up to a simple question. And so in verse 30, Philip asks the man the question. Do you understand what it is that you're reading out loud here? And notice the eunuch, okay? The eunuch isn't put off, you know? Uh, the eunuch isn't the least bit defensive. The, the eunuch doesn't feel intruded upon. Why not? Because this is naturally unfolding. Here is a man hungry for God. This is his moment. And so the eunuch answers back as naturally as the question was asked, how can I understand this? unless somebody explains it to me. So, sir, would you come up into the chariot and would you, would you help me make sense of this passage of Scripture? Philip does, gets into the chariot, and he discovers what it is that the Ethiopian is puzzled about, what it is that he's really asking the big question. It is, of all things, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. He reads, he was led like a sheep to slaughter. As a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. I love this, verse 34. Please tell me, who is the prophet Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? Who is the he and the his in this passage? And since the barn door to this guy's heart is obviously wide open, what does Philip do next? He steps right through the door. You can, you can imagine Philip on the inside. Hmm, let me see. Will I tell you who this is about? Well, let me pray about it while I tell you who this is about. And, and, and he goes on to tell the man um, about Jesus Christ, and in verse 35, Philip holds nothing back. It says here, he begins with this passage, and then Philip goes on to tell him all the good news about Jesus Christ. From, from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, Jesus Christ is the one who was, he was offered up as a lamb, uh, as a sacrifice for our sins. Through his death, and his resurrection, everything changes for us spiritually. Those of us who receive him as Savior and Lord, as we confess our sin, as we welcome him in as Lord and Savior, we're saved, we're set free, we get new life. Philip rolls the whole thing out for the man. And right as Philip is finishing up, the eunuch looks up and he sees something in the distance. He sees a body of water. And so the, man's, uh, the, the man obviously says to Philip, look, I believe, but I'll tell you this, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? I believe in this Jesus, the Son of God. Would you baptize me? And so the eunuch orders the chariot to be stopped. Philip and the eunuch get out of the chariot. They go into the water. And the swim party that we talked about last week, where everybody's getting baptized in this town, it continues with, with this Ethiopian who comes to faith in Christ and, and seals that through water baptism. Finally, they come up, come up out of the water, and the Spirit of God snatches Philip away. The eunuch does not see him anymore. 
But seeing that he's alone, now what does the eunuch do? He joyfully makes his way back home, all right? Now, first of all, let me just hit the by the way. This proves that Scotty was not the first person to beam somebody up, okay? Some of y'all have not settled that yet. Gene Roddenberry stole that from God, all right? But putting, putting that aside, putting that aside, the question today is, what do we do with all this? Because it's a glorious story. It's an amazing story. This is fantastic. Somebody ought to do a movie of this. Okay, that aside, what do we do with all of this? Well, first of all, there is a challenge for every single one of us in the room. There is a challenge when it comes to personal evangelism, okay? So often when it comes to sharing Christ, we as believers, we sell ourselves short, you know? We, 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 we get out on that ledge, we're like, you know what, I am going to share Jesus, and we're really good about talking ourselves back off the ledge and going back to real life. And the things that we say, we, say, we have all kinds of things we say like, you know, I just don't know enough Scripture to tell somebody about Jesus, or I, I'm really not prepared for all of the questions that they might ask me. Or, you know, I, I, I can't answer every, every debate of, you know, uh, you know, just apologetics. And we talk ourselves down. But what I, want, what I want you to do today is stop and consider for just a minute both Philip and the Ethiopian. Okay, let's start with Philip. First of all, when it comes to Philip. Philip is not chosen by God to speak to this Ethiopian because he is a theological genius, okay? He is not chosen because he has the whole scripture memorized or he is the king of evangelism. Remember, how many evangelistic moments has Philip had that we know of? We know of one, that's all we know of. This is not why Philip is chosen. Now, I'll tell you this, if that was the reason, Luke would have made it clear, okay? Now, Luke is the writer of Acts, Luke is the most detailed writer in the Gospels, okay? I would argue in the New Testament, nobody includes details like, Phil, like, uh, like Luke. Every now and then you'd be reading along and go, Luke, why in the world did you have to throw that in? Because he has to write every single thing down. The brother never misses a thing. This is not something he puts for us to know. So he's not chosen for that. When it comes to Philip, here is why God selects him. He is open to God. All right, we sang just, just a little while ago about surrender. This is a man who has surrendered, he's open, and he is listening to God. And because he is listening to God, God not only can give him a, a, a divine command, God does give him a divine command. And, and the proof of the willingness is in the next moment when God says, hey man, go, you know, or Dr. Seuss, go dog, go. When God sends him, what does Philip do? He goes, showing us that he truly is available. And then God simply opens doors for Philip to step through. That paves the way to a very natural conversation with the Ethiopian. And, and we see as a result that the Ethiopian's heart is pierced. The Ethiopian comes to Christ. And that makes a bigger point of evangelism. Folks, evangelism is about the work of God in people's lives. This is God at work. So the point simply is this when it comes to Philip, God is not looking for evangelistic perfection. On our part, he's looking for surrender and he's looking for availability. And if you don't believe me, then okay, let's go ahead and look at the Ethiopian. Think about the Ethiopian. At the end of the passage, where does he go? 
He goes back to Jerusalem so he can, he can enroll in Jewish school and, and be a part of the first church and learn everything there is to learn about Jesus so he can now go home and share the good news of Christ. No! The Ethiopian gets saved. He has a sliver of Bible knowledge. He is, he is brand new in Christ. He's got two things going for him as he makes his way home. He has got some simple Bible understanding of a key passage, and he's got a testimony. And let's just go ahead and throw a third thing on. He is going home in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Is this guy perfect? You know, does this guy have it all? The, the ink isn't even dry on his baptism certificate. And he is going home. He is Ethiopia's first missionary. And when you stop to think about this missionary, what an amazing choice on God's part. And I know some of us will go, no, wait a minute, God, the guy needs a little training. He's got to go through EE first, you know? I mean, this brother has got to watch some of the, no, none of that. This man is a brilliant choice on God's part because he is authentic. He has experienced the living Christ. He is full of the spirit of God. But beyond that, look again at who he is and what he does for a living. This man has the ear of the king and the queen in Ethiopia, all right? And for himself, he's got a little bit of national standing, right? Prestige. This man goes home sharing about Jesus Christ. People are going to listen to him, even though he's new in the faith. So listen, when you are tempted to sell yourself short, oh, I don't have enough, if you are in Christ, you're qualified to share Jesus Christ with somebody else. Glenn, I didn't even pay you for that, amen. Thank you, brother. Okay, there's one more thing we do, okay, as Christians. We also get caught up quite often when it comes to evangelism in comparing ourselves to others and making a personal judgment of our qualifications. Well, you know what? I'm not qualified because I'm not as gifted as Brian or Mark or him or her or them. Listen to me. When it comes to your gifting and your calling and your ability to share Jesus Christ, Understand this, methods and gifts of evangelism, and this one's going to set you free, okay? Methods and gifts of evangelism vary among different people, okay? Let that sink in. In other words, we all don't have to do evangelism exactly the same way. You know, in this room, and I think they're in this room today, um, we, we have an example of evangelism that's very different. Uh, like Philip from last week, what did he do? He held a crusade. Do we have anybody in our church who holds worldwide crusades? Yeah, the precautions, right? God has gifted them. Y'all, I could stand up on that stage in India or South Africa, where they are, and the people would probably go, you know what, brother, we got somewhere to be. Let's wrap this up. They get up there, and like Billy Graham from last week, they share the good news of Christ. People come by the thousands, the hundreds. Just it happens that way. God has called them to share Jesus Christ that way. There are others in our church. You know, some of you have the ability to walk up to a stranger you have never met and launch right into a conversation, and like seven out of ten times, that person comes to Christ. That is astounding, but you know what? That's not everybody's gift. We, we, we have one person uh, here that God has called them to go into prisons and jails 
Pat Bass, you know? She is just anointed and called to go into our local prisons and our local jails, and she has led hundreds of convicts, inmates, people who are in for a long, I mean, everything from lifers to, you know, going to be here a while. She's led them to Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, though. Chances are that is not your calling, okay? Can you believe the pastor just said that? Chances are that's not your gifting. But I will tell you what your gifting is. I'll tell you what my gifting is and my calling as a believer. It is to share Jesus Christ with our neighbors. It is. By neighbor, I mean the people that we do life with every day, people that we work with, people that we live beside. We, We are called to share Jesus Christ with them. All right? He makes us, he, he, this is our great commission. And when it comes to Philip, Philip is a great example here of how to do that. Again, what does Philip do? Number one, he, he's let, he listens to the Spirit, and he's led by the Spirit. Do you know that is a key in evangelism? Listening to the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit. We start there with our neighbors. Uh, Philip also does something else that, that you don't hear enough in evangelism. He watches to see what God is doing. He waits for the door to open, all right? Be free in that, y'all. Waits for that door to open. And when the door opens, he enters naturally by meeting the need of the moment. In this case, the need of the moment says, brother, I've got some questions. Could you answer them? But, but he steps right in there and explains about Jesus Christ. And from that point... The rest is up to God, and the rest is up, well, in his case, the Ethiopian, but to our neighbor to embrace Christ or maybe wait longer or whatever. So here's the question. Who is regularly in your life that doesn't know Jesus Christ? I want you to stop. Regularly, who is regularly in your world that doesn't know Jesus? I don't care why you move there. I don't care, you know, if you think you just got hired and, and you, you, you know, you just got beamed into this office pool, they are there for a reason. There are no coincidences in the body of Christ, all right? So these people are in our lives for a reason. Now, so where do we start with them, okay? I'm even gonna go back a little bit before God starts speaking. Let me tell you how we can share Christ with these people in our lives. Number one, okay, first thing we can do is to begin to pray for those people daily. Stick them on your fridge, write them in your Bible, etch their names on your dashboard, begin to pray for them daily. Lift them up to God. Lord, he acts like a this or a that, but Father, I lift him up to you. God, draw her to yourself. Lord, begin to show your light in this neighborhood. Begin to pray for people by name. Second thing, super practical, greet them warmly, okay? Greet them warmly and build a a natural relationship with these folks. Just start doing that. Just begin to interact with them. And then finally, and here's here's the big one, before God moves and directs you, love them. Love them, love them, love them. Nothing draws people to God like the love of God. Mark said this a couple of weeks ago. You can't argue people into the kingdom. No one ever came to Jesus because he lost an argument. Love people. And I always, when I say love them, I mean serve them practically. Help them carry groceries in. You know, like I could do this with my neighbor. They're rebuilding their porch. Get over there and swing a hammer one day. Just begin to serve them when the needs arise. Do that, and y'all, 
watch what happens, okay? What's going to happen? First thing that's going to happen, you are going to see their hearts soften, all right? When we move toward people like this and we're praying for them and we move to them practically and we're just engaging them, their heart begins to soften. And I know at first they might give the old stiff arm, you know, the Heisman stiff arm or whatever. They might do that. But if you hang in there and you are loving like Jesus, their hearts will soften. But you know who else's heart will soften? Your heart will soften. My heart will soften towards them. And y'all, once that happens, okay, that's the preparation. Once that happens, start placing your bets, okay? Because when that, start, uh, that heart gets soft, somebody's getting ready to come to Jesus, all right? Somebody's getting ready to move toward the kingdom. And somebody else, you and me, we're going to be a part of that. Man, what a great thing. What, I mean, oh, it's wonderful. And y'all, it can be that simple. And it can be that natural when it comes to sharing Jesus with the lost. And I might say, well, Steve, why? Okay, why, why is it that simple? Because here's what evangelism is, already, is, is primarily about. Evangelism is foremost and first about a word called sovereignty. It is about the movement of God in people's lives. We, I think sometimes in the church we get this idea of, oh, I got, I, I got, I got to pull it off. I got to make it happen. Evangelism is about sovereignty. Sovereignty means that the rule of God is coming into play in somebody's life. It means God is in control. It means God is going after this person. And y'all, we see that. Eh, have we not seen that in the book of Acts? You know, why does Acts unfold as it does? And people are coming to Christ and the church is growing. Is it because there's just such a brilliant leadership in the church that, man, these guys just, they, they do the impossible? Absolutely not. This whole thing, okay, driving down the highway, right? You see that men at work sign? Scratch out the men. The whole thing is a God at work. That was clear last week when it came to Philip's crusade. You know, this is God saving this town in Samaria. It's true this week when it, when it comes to this one Samaritan uh, in this passage. Evangelism is not all on us. But you know what? It does involve us. We are to be a part of it. And y'all, evangelism is something we want to be involved in, especially when we realize that God is going ahead of the people in our lives, that God is moving as we pray, that God is softening and watering and, and drawing. When we realize that, it simply leaves us at a place when it comes to evangelism where we as believers, we can look up. And I don't mean look at ourselves, look around. We can look up and say, okay, God, who? Who is it? Who would you have me go to? When would you have me go? And so I would offer Philip as an example, a guide, and I want to pray for us. All right? So I'm, I'm, I'm enlisting y'all into evangelism school today. Shiloh, come up here. You're going to play the piano. And I'm going to pray for my brothers and sisters. We've been surrendering a lot around here lately, hadn't we? we have, have we been surrendering? Yeah, we're going to surrender a little bit more today. So Shiloh, play for us. I'm going to pray, and did you, did you want to lead, lead us through a song that we're going to sing or just play? Okay, okay, that's good, great. All right, we're not going to sing. Father, in Jesus' name, we rejoice in your word. Father, we thank you for forerunners, for pioneers, for, for men like Philip, um, like Stephen that we studied just three weeks ago. And Father, we, we, we don't want to make the mistake so often that we make as believers where we look at these folks like historical figures or, or maybe like a superhero that we pin up on the wall of our heart. 
God, we look at our brothers here in this first church as we're, we're a church who's seeking to rise up into a God-given vision and we say, Lord, this man's an example. He is a first fruit and Lord, we wanna join him. God, we, we live in a world that is still full of people that do not know you. And Lord, some of them are ugly, some of them are broken, some of them are angry, some of them are mean, some of them are just isolated. And Lord, they need, just like the eunuch said, how can I understand if someone doesn't come? Lord, today we we wanna be like Philip in our hearts. God, we wanna be like Isaiah. In Isaiah 6-1, when you said, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Lord, send me. Father, in Jesus' name, we just, we, we look at those traps that are so easy for us to step in. And Lord, today in Jesus' name, we wanna step beyond all of that and say, God, would you use us as a church? Lord, would you use us as individuals to reach that person across the street in the workspace? Maybe that mom or dad that, you know, they just share a, so- our, our kids are sharing a soccer field. Lord, would you help us? to rise up and to be the light. and even spoke about it in that word. God, we wanna be a city set upon a hill. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We surrender to you. And Father, I ask today that you would just turn up, just turn up the light within us. God, I, I ask you to fill up the volume of love within us. Lord, just begin to fill us with your compassionate love. And God, just help us to step into this and to proclaim who Jesus Christ is. Everyone in this room has a testimony. I rejoice in what you've done in my brothers and my sisters' lives. But Lord, that is not our story, it's your story. It's a story that you would have us tell. And so in Jesus' name, God, we say that we at Kempsville Presbyterian Church, we are available. Father, raise us up and use us for greater things, bringing your light, your love, your salvation, your fullness to this community. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen.